Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. I apologize for the short break. I have uh, recently had some job change and stuff going on, and so I've been super, super busy. Um, and so I'm back. So it's good to be back with you. We are headed into Second Nephi 31, and we may uh, jump over to the last chapter as well. As we start this chapter, we really get a different flavor. We get a change of pace. So as we've been learning, we'll take a step back and we'll say what's going on in the story and why did Nephi select these chapters and how does he break them up? What are they? Things like that. So if you've been paying attention, and I know you have, you'll notice that 2 Nephi 31, in the original Book of Mormon, it was chapter, I think, 17 and 8. Uh, chapters 13 and 14, actually, of the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon. So 30 and 31 are actually separate chapters, and they are distinctly different from what we just have left. So you've done um, 2 Nephi. Remember, we talked about a lot more sermons. It's a lot more uh, Christology, teachings about Christ, but not narrative. There are not very many stories about here we went here, and then I had another kid, and stuff like that. Instead, they are sermons, writings, insights, and 31 and 32 are no different. And yet, they are very different. So right out of the gate, Nephi tells us a little bit about what they are. So let's try 2 Nephi 31. And now I, Nephi, make an end of my prophesying unto you, my beloved brethren. And I cannot write but a few things, which I know must surely come to pass. Neither can I write but a few of the words of my brother Jacob. So these, this text he's telling us is different. He's saying, I don't have a lot of space or time left, and so I'm going to write just a few things. And what he's going to choose are sermons. He's going to, instead of writings like you've seen in Isaiah, and maybe reflections of what had happened with Lehi blessing the sons way back at the beginning of Second Nephi, the next two chapters are sermons. So there's something given in a speech so unlike, unlike trying to look at something that's been written and where you have it, the text in front of you, like Isaiah, and you get to ponder and really think about it, when you give a speech or you listen to a speech or a talk, you, you don't catch as much, right? It doesn't cover as much ground. You have to kind of repeat yourself a little bit. And typically you have to catch people's attention. So you'll see Nephi doing all of those things in Second Nephi 31 and 32. So as you think about it, say, in our step back, say, this genre is different. This is a sermon. This is a speech. This is a conference talk. 
and something like that. So it's not going to be quite as in-depth in some ways, although the topic is very serious and really profound. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have the poetry and like the rhyming and all the parallelism and things like Isaiah, but it does have a rhetorical question, catches our attention and does some things like that. So as Nephi's ending up, he has seen his whole life change from the time he was a child, right? They left Jerusalem. He has broken off from his brothers, the Lamanites. So you have Lamanites and Lemuel um, breaking off. He has gone to a new world. He has become the king of a, of a growing nation. He's also become a prophet. He has learned to draw close to the Lord. And he has seen that his family, the Lehites, will eventually fall into apostasy. So they're doing all of this. And while they will have much um, greatness and many people will be saved, as we call it, um, others won't. Others won't. And he'll see eventually an apostasy. And then he sees this book coming forth, right? And the Gentiles carrying it forth and restoring his people. So a great victory at the end. But what is he going to write about? If you just had a couple of chapters, if you didn't have a lot left in your life, or you had just a, just one or two things left to say to with all of that background, looking forward into the future and who was going to read this book and who was going to read these records namely us, what would you tell us? What would you, what would be the most important thing? Have you ever thought about that? If you had to leave, um, let's say a letter to your family, um, or you were going down on a plane crash, you know, you had just a minute to leave a recording on your phone. What would it, what would it be? What would you say? What would be the most important things that you could say if you only just had a few minutes? That's what we're going to find out that Nephi is going to say. He's going to say, I have just a few more words. And it's some of the things um, that I've spoken of and also Jacob. So, so just think about that and it will help understand the framing of this chapter. All right. Um, let's go to verses two and three. Wherefore, the things which I have written, suffice, sorry, written, sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. Wherefore, I shall speak unto you plainly, according to the plainness of my prophesying. For my soul delighteth in plainness. For after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto under, uh, understanding. For he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. So Nephi is taking a step back and he is saying, I'm going to talk about, did you catch it in verse 2? The doctrine of Christ. We, we don't hear that phrase very often, so that one should jump out of us. This is the actual doctrine of Christ. This is what the story of Christ is about, is he's going to say here. And it's really going to be a series of things that make up this doctrine of Christ. He also points out this odd thing that he contrasts his style with some of the other's prophets, right? He says, my style's plain. <laughs> my plain. Uh, it's not going to be like as much as he loves Isaiah. He doesn't try to write like Isaiah. He's like, I'm just, I'm like a plain guy and I'm just going to tell it to you straight. Um, and so I love that. I love that about Nephi that he is going to contrast that. Now he did see, uh, dreams and visitations and he does use descriptive language. He has a Psalm in there. He, he's definitely a, and a brilliant writer and a brilliant author. However, he's telling us I'm going to be much more plain than maybe what you've seen in the past. 
Um, there's a little break here in the next verse that kind of breaks up the concept. So he says that the Lord's going to work among the children of men to give us what we can understand. But then he says this, Wherefore, I would that you should remember that I have spoken unto you concerning that prophet which the Lord showed unto me that should baptize the Lamb of God, that should take away the sins of the world. So, and here's where you get Nephi's uh, transition speech from the introduction, which we just heard, to wherefore, here it is. So, so it kind of feels like he's, he's, uh, he's told you he's going to tell the doctrine of Christ, and then he's going to start laying out his points. So if you're thinking this is a conference talk and you're, you're listening and you're making notes, um, you would pencil down. This is going to be the doctrine of Christ. His style is going to be a little different than, than maybe the ancient, some of the other ancient prophets. Um, and then he's going to say, I want to speak first about the prophet who was going to baptize the Lamb of God, which should take away the sins of the world. And then he goes on to say, verse 5, And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized of water to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, then how much more need have we being unholy to be baptized, yea, even by water? It feels like to me this is, um, uh, James Falconer pointed this out, if you've read his books, um, and I think he's right on here, that, uh, so thanks, James. He, he points out that this is probably Nephi answering a question by his community and his community remember is a little bit different in time and place than ours their understanding of baptism and their understanding of the need for the messiah to be baptized and you're going to see this development it's brilliant actually but you're going to see this development where they're saying well if he's holy why would he need to be baptized so they didn't say um, so we have to kind of break that apart and it's, it's really brilliant because it teaches us a lot about our baptism and holiness. And we, we need to understand that, especially with temple worship and, and Sabbath worship and things like that. Holy is a different, uh, word than you might be used to, right? So we get the word, we've talked about it in the past when we did New Testament. Um, but if we talk about it in an Old Testament terms, which Nephi would have come from it, it, uh, the word means, um, separate, separate or different or unique. Um, so if you think about the, the modern temple and the ancient temple, right, they had like levels of holiness. And so only certain people could go inside and then only certain people could go inside even farther inside. And then only the high priest on the day of atonement could go in the very Holy of Holies one day. And then there was a lot of ritual cleanliness. So if you remember how the the camp of Israel was built around the tabernacle, the tent that they hiked around. Um, they had all these, like Leviticus, one of my favorite books actually, but they have all these holiness, holiness um, rituals, all these rules, and it's to make you holy. Uh, clean is another word, right? They had to be ritually clean. They didn't have to be physically clean, right? It wasn't a sin to be unclean. It was that you were ritually unpure. And so if you had this ritual impurity, as you drew closer, um, it would be bad. So um, I, I, a good analogy is a hospital, right? How many of us have been to a hospital? Most of us have been to a hospital, right? We've been inside for some reason just to visit or something. But then you go farther inside and you may have said, well, have, have you been um, not just at the front desk, but have you been back into some of the rooms maybe? And you'd be like, well, yeah, I might have, I may have visited somebody, right? 
And then inside, inside the hospital, uh, let's say it's the surgical part of the hospital, surg uh, surgical theater, there's a very special room in there where only certain things take place, right? Um, the surgical theater. And in there, only certain people are allowed. And they have to be, they, they wear special clothing, right? They wear special clothing and they have to wash their hands a certain way and they have to dress a certain way and they have to have gone through a certain amount of education and, and certifications and they have to uh, be part of a team and called on that day and, and they go in and maybe you've been inside and had surgery and you are there for a special reason. Um, that's kind of what <laughs> ritual cleanliness is like. You might have gone to the hospital, you might have gone inside, but have you actually been in the, the, um, the surgical part only for certain people, only for certain reasons, and they have to wear special clothing, they have to have special education, and they have to be pure, right? They have to be pure. That's what cleanliness is like. So they're saying, why, if the, if the, uh, if, if the Lamb of God is holy, he's unique, special, set apart, and that's what baptism is for, why would he have to be baptized? So it isn't that he doesn't have sin, as you might have be thinking, like New Testament people. They're thinking, he's already holy, so why would he need to be holy? Because that's what baptism did. So in the ancient part of ancient Israel, they went through those ritual baths. And part of that cleanliness, if you were ritually unpure, was that you would have a ritual bath. And it could be your hands, your feet, your whole body, an immersion of kinds. And then Sometimes you had to wait uh, some time, but you definitely had to go through this this bath, this this baptism of sorts, and it makes you ritually pure again. And so if it's like, well, he's already holy, so why would he have to go through the bath, right? Why, what? So can you see how that frames that differently? If we are, he's saying he had to be, and he was holy, so if you're unholy, so you have to be more. All right, I've belabored the point. But if you want to read a little bit more about that, uh, check out Numbers 8, uh, 5 through 7. Also check on, if you want to see the clothing that they used to wear, you'll recognize some of it. Leviticus 16, 3 through 4. Leviticus 15, 7 through 8. Exodus 30, 17 through 20. That talks about the actual basin and the water and where they had to wash and go through. And um, you'll recognize some of those things, especially if you have received your endowments and been through the temple. So you'll see some of those. So the question seems to be for the people, well, why did this Lamb of God, why did the Messiah have to be baptized? Because Nephi sees a vision of that, right? And he sees a vision of John the Baptist. It's like, but he was already holy. And then he's trying to contrast. He goes, well, we're going to learn something about why he had to be. Um, he had to be baptized because of a different reason. And it's something that we should learn. So um, let's move on and see if we can find it. All right. Verse 6. And now I would ask of you, my beloved brethren, wherein the Lamb of God did fulfill all righteousness in being baptized by water. So remember, this is a, a speech, right? He's giving a talk. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to consider that. So he's not going to answer a rhetorical question in a way. He's going to ask the question and he's going to walk us through it. So as you read through this, think answer the question well wait a minute if if he was doing it to fill all righteousness but he was already holy in the lamb of god why did he have to do that why did he have to it, it, obviously it's past tense but why did he have to um he's seen it in a prophecy but why did he have to do that doesn't make any sense right why would the messiah who's the um 
author of the atonement have to participate in the mortal rite of atonement, right? The washing, the going to the temple for cleanliness. It's part of that rite of atonement at the ancient temple. So he was already righteous. He says, and he asked the question again in verse seven, know ye not that he was holy, but notwithstanding he being holy. Oh, here's the answer. He showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the father and he witnessed unto the father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. So he's holy, but he's witnessing it to whom? He's not witnessing it to us first. He's witnessing to the father. Remember when Christ was in the garden, he says, not, not mine, but thy will be done. And remember what the test was in the garden of Eden, the taking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, choosing a decision, choosing a decision that was to follow God or to not follow God, a choice. And Christ makes the right choice to always follow the father. So he's witnessing to the father that he will always be obedient to him. He's that he will keep his commandments. Get it? Okay. It's going to keep building. So let's check that out. Keep going. Murphy says, hi. Hi, Murphy. Okay. Verse eight. Wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. So then we're going to see this linking. Wherefore is linking Jesus's action in submitting to baptism to the descent of the Holy Ghost. So you're like, wait, what? I didn't follow that. If we witness to the Father, we're willing to keep his commandments, you will can receive the Holy Ghost. So this is a model for us that our acceptance of the atonement, our acceptance of Christ's sacrifice, of the, the ritual of atonement, is our, the Holy Spirit can affect us. It can change our hearts. It can cleanse us. So there's a connection to this concept of baptism with the Holy Ghost, but also with atonement and how the Holy Ghost works. And again, it showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. Oh, so the baptism of Christ isn't just an example back to the Father. It's witnessing to us. So we say, the commandments, when we follow in obedience, it's the straight, narrow path, right? It's an Old Testament phrase. So you're saying, we have to follow. So he's witnessing up and he's witnessing down. He's witnessing up to the Father and down to us. Powerful, powerful stuff. And he said to the children of men, follow thou me. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father? So... So I think Nephi's pleading with his people. They're probably like, why does he get baptized? Why do we have to get baptized? Like, they're not following it. And he's saying he was holy and he did it to witness to the Father, to obey his commandments and show us. And he invites us, come, follow thou me. Follow thou me. And the Father said, repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. And the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Wherefore, follow me and do the things which ye have seen me do. So Nephi's quoting a personal revelation, a, a, a listen, hearing the voice of the Father. The Father is telling Nephi 
to repent and be baptized in the name of his son. How often can you think of when you know the father is speaking in scripture and not the son? Like, like how many? Like, think about it. Not very many. But one of them was at Christ's baptism. One of them was at the first vision. Right? And here is another one. Christ, the, uh, the father is speaking and commanding, repent ye, repent ye, twice, two commands, twice, powerful, and be baptized in the name of my beloved son. He that is, here's the promise, he that is baptized in my name, to him will the father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Ah, amazing, right? So baptism was a rite that completed repentance. The repentant candidate makes a spiritual reconciliation with the Lord. Um, we seal our repentance through baptism and it restores ritual purity, that purity that we learned about uh, just a minute ago. Wherefore, so when we turn it back to us in Nephi's speech, wherefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, I know that if you should follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that you are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following your Lord and Savior down into the water according to his word, behold, then you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then ye can speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Nephi lists out those qualifications required for that cleansing baptism being part of the atonement. And we must follow the son's son. We must obey all the commandments, just as the son did. We have to have real intent. We must repent of our sins. And then the important part of the ritual, take upon us the name of Christ by baptism. So Nephi sees baptism as taking on the name. Um, other places, that's not so implicit in the Book of Mormon, but here uh, it's it's very powerful. And so then it tells us that um, these are we will receive the Holy Ghost. These are the things that we can we can learn. All right, Scriptorians, that's it so far. We didn't quite make it to the end, but you got pretty far. So um, try reading through the speech and seeing if you can't see some other instructions and some uh, thoughts and questions that you can ask yourself. And also ask yourself if this were your last will and testament or your last letter to your family and friends, what would you write about? All right, Scriptorians, don't forget to like and share, help the channel grow, and we'll see you next time.